Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fighting for Writing. This episode is going to be random because I just sat down and looked at my list of ideas for episodes and to be honest wasn't super excited about recording any of them and then I remembered that I have been reading a lot about the new Agatha Christie movie A Haunting in Venice I don't even know what book it's based on because I haven't paid attention to that but that movie just came out and there's a lot of reviews floating around and pictures and blah so I was like you know what what the heck I'm just going to talk about Agatha Christie because I've read some of her books am I even an Agatha Christie expert no I'm not an Agatha Christie expert. In fact, I know very, very little about Agatha Christie, except that she disappeared once in 1926. And I will be talking about that and why I think she did that. But I'm just going to blah, blah, blah about Agatha Christie books and what I think about them and about these new adaptations with Hercule Poirot. And yeah, this could be a really short episode because like I just said, I'm actually not an Agatha Christie expert. This is just going to be my thoughts about Agatha Christie books and her disappearance. I do think she was kind of cool. Like she went out and worked on archaeological digs and stuff. And I think that was awesome. And she drew a lot of that into some of her writings, you know, with murder in Mesopotamia and death on the Nile. And, Ooh, I feel like there's another one that I'm forgetting. I feel like there's three that are usually grouped together. At least I've seen them printed in like the same novel before. You know, three books in one. Death on the Nile, Murder in Mesopotamia. And one other one that I can't remember. Ha ha ha. Man, this is going to be like way, way out there, guys. It's 10.30 at night. I already worked. Made dinner eight. Was falling half asleep before I was like, you know, I have the place to myself tonight. It's nice and quiet. I should record an episode while I have the time. And, well, no one else is here to interrupt me or anything like that, you know? Whew. So here I am talking about Agatha Christie. Those books, loved them. I don't believe those were the first Agatha Christie books I read. That took me a while to remember what I read first. Definitely the first Agatha Christie book I read was And Then There Were None. And I read that, I want to say, in eighth grade. It was the one that was originally published as Ten Little Indians, and I feel like it might also have another name. But I know it as And Then There Were None which is fantastic and amazing. I didn't even know about the existence of Hercule Poirot until later, obviously, when I read one of his, but her, that one, reading that as a first Agatha Christie book, highly suggest if you have not read any Agatha Christie books and you don't want to start on, like, the Poirot mysteries because maybe you've heard of him and you're just like, yeah, I've heard of that before. I'm not super into it or whatever. I don't even care. Just read And Then There Were None because that was amazing it was genius it was smart by the end I was so shocked I was like just oh my gosh it was so well done they did make a Hollywood adaptation of it I mean there's probably been more than one I've seen an old black and white one where I'm not going to give anything away I'm just going to say that they changed the ending because it's Hollywood and so if you go read the book and then you go see this old black and white one you'll know exactly what I mean by that But I thought that the way that they changed the end in that movie was actually pretty clever too, to be honest, even though I wasn't super happy with it because it does kind of change the whole book a bit when they change the ending like that. I still thought it was cleverly done. And so whatever, not obviously not my favorite adaptation. And the book was just so great. 
it's basically about, is it 10 people? <laughs> it must be because that based off the poem, 10 Little Indians, I believe is what it's called. So 10 people are brought to an island and realize that all of them have done something in their lives. And it plays out from there. I feel like Clue, the movie Clue, is like a very silly, silly version of that. <laughs> it's completely different than and then there were none. But I just realized it's kind of like Clue. Like, oh, there's all these strangers coming to a house and they don't know why. And then they realize they've all done something in their life. And I was like, oh, wait, that's just like Clue. Except Clue is hilarious and funny and just absolutely outrageous and quotable. And, and then there were none is definitely dark and not funny and outrageous and wonderfully quotable. At least not that I remember. <laughs> it's been so many years since I've read it and yet I still remember it, which I think is kind of one of the hallmarks of a good book, but not necessarily because if you just listened to my last episode about banned books or was it my first, the first part of the banned books duo, I almost said trio, trilogy, like, no, okay, there were two of them, duo, duology, I talked about Catcher in the Rye, which I have also read years ago, and I absolutely hated it, it was a piece of crap in my opinion, so I guess not, but the fact that it stays with me in a good light, and I remember it very fondly, and still remember quite a good amount of, like, the details and what happened in it as well, I feel like it just proves that it's kind of like a good book that stuck with me, and is one of those mysteries that I would still read again and super enjoy, even though I know the outcome. And it's obviously not the first mystery novel I ever read in my life, but I feel like that definitely got me more into mysteries, reading that one in eighth grade. Probably like Encyclopedia Brown or something ridiculous like that were the first mysteries I read, but I honestly can't remember because Encyclopedia Brown was not my thing. I maybe read two of them. The Great Brain was definitely more of my thing. And those aren't necessarily mystery novels, but sometimes he solves things in them. So that was definitely, so that was the first Agatha Christie book that I read. And then there were none. And then of course I moved on to Perot. I don't remember what the first one, you know, it was probably, no, yes. It was definitely Murder on the Orient Express. I'm gonna 99% that one. And of course, that was brilliant. I have not seen the Kenneth Branagh. Brana, I honestly don't know how to say his last name. So I'm going to call him Kenneth B. Kenny B. You know, me and him are friends. Gilderoy Lockhart. We're besties. Anyway, Kenneth B. <laughs> I have not seen the version with him. I have seen the old one. And I can't remember. Well, I mean, it has, I believe, David. Man, why do I keep bringing up people whose names I can't pronounce. David Suchet or Suchet or Suchet, S-U-C-H-E-T. He's famous for playing like the Perot. And you know what I mean by that. I'm pretty sure he was in that one. And so was Sean Connery. And that's all I can remember. And I remember really enjoying that adaptation and thinking it was pretty good. I, like I said, I haven't seen the new Kenneth B one, but I did read Death on the Nile a long time ago. And I watched the adaptation with Kenneth B. And I'm going to be honest, I thought it was boring, which was sad because it's Agatha Christie. She's not boring. And I, there are definitely books of hers that I like more, especially 
when it comes to like Perot versus Miss Marple, but I, I'll get into that later. Just Perot ones, they're usually entertaining enough to me. I haven't read any that are super boring. But to me, the Death on the Nile movie just dragged on and on. Was it was that just me or did anyone else think that it was insanely long? But I feel like a lot of movies are doing that. I feel like when I was a kid, movies were like 90 minutes long. That was like normal and maybe two hours sometimes. But now I feel like every movie is two hours plus. And we don't need them to be two hours plus. And that's like, it annoyed me by how long it was. <laughs> and there were a lot of great shots of Egypt, but not really Egypt, you know, CGI Egypt or whatever, which were cool, but also I feel like they did that way too much. Like a couple shots here and there would have been fine, but I felt like they spent so much time showing us shots of things. And I was just like, yeah, we get it there in Egypt. I understand. It's really cool. And don't get me wrong. I would love to go to Egypt. I've been obsessed with Egypt since I was a child, but I didn't need to see that a million times over when I was trying to get into a mystery and it just dragged on and on and was so, so, so slow. And they also tried to give Perot like a tragic backstory. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. Like, are they trying to make him relatable to audiences? Are they trying to give him a reason that he grows a mustache? There's no real point in that, in my opinion. We don't need this random back. He's just is Perot. That's how he's always been. He's always been that little, you know, stuffy man who's obsessed with his mustache because it's his pride and joy. Right? We don't. I just don't like how they tried to give him a tragic backstory for his character because I feel like that wasn't in the books at all and there was no reason to do that. And that also made the movie drag on and on. Bah. But yeah, and I've heard kind of the same thing. Obviously, I have not seen A Haunting in Venice yet, but I basically heard that it is it has a stellar cast, but... Pretty much what I've read so far is that it's boring. And if it's anything like Death on the Nile, then to me, it will definitely be boring. Sometimes I'm tempted to keep like the long pauses in my podcasts and not edit them out because I just had to go run and grab water because I totally forgot to bring some water over for myself while I've been talking. Probably my voice sounds horrible and super dry, so sorry, guys. And advance for all the torture you must be going through right Agatha Christie death on the Nile oh Perot versus Miss Marple so I've just never been super into Miss Marple or her mysteries I don't even think I've ever made it through a single Miss Marple novel I've definitely listened to one or two radio adaptations of Miss Marple stories I just found them on YouTube. Basically, I used to have this job where I would transcribe old German documents, primarily written by women, and I would also be in charge of editing them, like making sure other people had typed theirs correctly, making sure the periods were in the right place, everything was spelled right. That was used to be my job, but I didn't have to necessarily comprehend what I was writing. I just needed to copy it over to um, a document so that was legible, you know, because it's old German writing and old German print script. And sometimes it's hard to read. And just, of course, because it's old books are not always preserved correctly and can just be hard to read because of that. 
And most of them were scanned as well. And sometimes it's just hard to read scans. Anyway, that used to be my job back in like 2015 or something. And, but like I said, I didn't have to comprehend anything. I just needed to copy it over and then check for spelling mistakes and stuff. And that was really actually mind numbing work to me. And so I would put on Agatha Christie radio dramas or like Sherlock Holmes and just listen to them in the background while transcribing these documents. And so I've definitely listened to a couple Miss Marple ones there. Same with Tommy and Tuppence, I believe, are the characters. Two, like two other of her characters that are kind of well-known, but definitely Perot, I think, is the most well-known. And I just don't find them as fascinating as Perot especially Miss Marple. Like she's just a cute old lady minding her own business, but she's solving crime, which for some reason bothers me. And I don't know why, because that's basically every detective show these days is someone who's not a detective helping detectives solve crime. But that could also be because I've never seen a good adaptation. I saw an adaptation. I don't even remember which one it was. It was just playing on the TV on PBS or something. And I just... Yeah, she just like sits around and knits and it was super boring and didn't interest me at all. At least Perot goes and sometimes does stuff and talks to people, you know what I mean? And so Miss Marple just doesn't interest me as much. Tommy and Tuppence, I've never read any of the books featuring them. I only heard one radio drama adaptation or whatever. And I found all those free on YouTube, by the way. So if they're still on there, you can go listen to them too because free stuff is always great, right? And once again, they just didn't interest me as much as the Perot mysteries or as some of her just standalone novels where there isn't any of those characters that we know, like, and then there were none. That's one of her, I guess, standalone novels where there's no, like, character that is featured in any of her other books. But I would definitely suggest her. I think the thing that I like about Agatha Christie as I feel like if you try hard enough, you will be able to figure things out. And But not necessarily. There's definitely some that I have figured out and figured out correctly. And there's other ones where I'm not super sure. But you can still get your own ideas, and I like that. She writes clearly enough, and sometimes, like I said, I haven't figured out every one. But often enough, she leaves enough clues that I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's this person. I never say 100% because, you know, authors like to throw in little twists and stuff like that. But sometimes my guesses have definitely been correct. And I like that it's not impossible to guess because I feel like sometimes in mystery novels, it's literally out of the blue and the clues are just so random and ridiculous and definitely didn't point to that person. But like I said, in the end, it's like a plot twist. But I feel like with hers as well, it's not that obvious who it is or what happened. And so it's still a mystery because I read a book once. I don't remember what it was called, but a woman is having a dinner party at her house and starts worrying because she realizes that someone like knows what she did or whatever. I don't remember exactly why she how that starts with her freaking out, but she's worried about this crime that she committed a long time ago. And it was so, so, so obvious what it was and what she had done that there was just no mystery for me. I just 
kept flipping to the end to see who was going to try and kill her in revenge for what she had done earlier, you know, type thing. Whereas Agatha Christie, I felt, did a very good balance of keeping it a mystery, but you can still guess it sometimes so you don't get so frustrated that you never want to read another Agatha Christie novel again, right? I really like that she does a good job of that. And if you pay attention to things and maybe write things down, which I don't when I read Agatha Christie novels or just novels in general, even if it's a mystery, I don't tend to write things down and be like, that might come back up later. I'm going to solve it just like they did. I'm definitely not that kind of person, but sometimes I do remember things and I'm like, I think this is what happened. And so I thought she did a fantastic job of doing that. I wish that I could write a mystery. I do have an idea for a mystery novel featuring like my own detective and everything. And I know who the murdered person is and I know who the murderer is and I have the detective and I have his little group of, you know, like friends and stuff that pop up throughout the novel or whatever, but it's the clues that get me because I want people to still have that mystery, but I want there to be clues that would make sense if this is going to sound dumb because it's a fiction world, but if like real detectives saw it, it would lead them to the same conclusion. But at the same time, I don't want people to know right away who it is, but I also want it to be plausible enough that when they get to the end of the novel, they're not like, well, that was a dumb reason to murder someone, wasn't it? Because I know exactly like why they murdered the person, what they did to get to this person, like all these different things I know. I'm just like, but, but what are the clues left behind that lead the investigators to know everything that I know? And <laughs> that is not my thing. I am not good at leaving clues in my novels, apparently. So, <laughs> oh my word. But I wish I, I, it's still something that I definitely want to do. And it's actually a book that I think a lot about often. And I'm not quite sure why, because I'm not working on it. I'm not actively trying to figure it out. I just like my detective character. His name is Detective Finnegan Small, but he's like a giant, basically. He's super tall, you know, broad shouldered, not like a model guy or anything. He's a bit pudgy, but like he's a bigger guy. He's not small. And so everyone always makes fun of that difference between his name and how big he actually is in real life. And there's a little girl who he sometimes watches because her mom works nights or works late. And the dynamic between the giant detective and this little like first grader girl just cracks me up. So Anyway, I, I I think about that a lot, and I don't know why, because like I said, I'm not actively working on it. I'm not trying to think of clues. It's not on my list of things to start once I'm done with my current project or anything like that. I just like that character, and I know everything about it except the clues, and if I could just figure out the clues, I feel like I could, you know, just write that novel. Boom. Let's see. Agatha Christie. So adaptations. I do like the David Suket. S-U-C-H-T. I like the David S-U-C-H-T-C-H, wait, S-U-C-H-E-T. Oh my gosh. Guys, it's late. Okay. I'm going to keep all of that in. You guys are going to be like, David sucked? S-U-C-H-T. Okay. <sighs> Life, right? Okay. David S and Kenneth B. That's That's how they are from now on. I do like his adaptations. Obviously, I think some are better than others and more entertaining, of course. But overall, I do like him as Perot. I thought that he captured Perot really well. So highly suggest his. Highly suggest David S's. 
Perot. I feel like there was something else. I mean, I'm going to talk about the disappearance, but I feel like I wanted to mention something else about her novels. How well she writes, adaptations. Um, well, you know, if I remember, I will bring it back up at the end. I think I will go see, well, I'll talk about, I think I will go see A Haunting in Venice eventually, but honestly, it's because I love the poster. The movie poster for A Haunting in Venice is fantastic. It's gorgeous and it is gorgeous and wonderful and amazingly well done because of how simple it is. And I'm talking, there's probably multiple ones. I'm talking about the one that just has a skull that turns into a Venetian mask with a tear on the side. So beautiful. I love the simplicity because I do not like movie posters where there's like every character in the movie possible shoved onto it. And that might be like an early 2000s thing, but I feel like it still happens today where every Marvel character that's ever played in any movie has to be on the Marvel poster and there's 5,000 of them and it gets really cluttered and then you're just looking at a cluttered, a mess basically. I love the simplicity of this haunting in Venice poster. Totally love. And yes, I guess I'll just get on to Agatha Christie and her disappearance. And like I said, I think she's she's very fascinating to me in the little that I know about her because she was going out on archaeological digs and doing a lot of like cool things as a woman. But at the same time, some of her books, like I recently, within the last six months, read The Third Girl which is one that I kind of figured out what had happened. I was like, oh yeah, this is probably what it is. And it was correct. But they're kind of, she's kind of disparaging towards women. And I don't know if that's because she thought that herself or if it's a Perot thing, like he's not the nicest man and he's super judgy of women in this one. And I don't remember if he was in other Perot novels because it's been a long time since I've read another one. And... I was like, is this Agatha Christie projecting her thoughts on females through him? Or was this always Hercule Poirot's character? Or does he just think these young girls are dumb bimbos and horrible, like idiots, and that they shouldn't be dressing like that? Like, I couldn't remember, but it was interesting to me. And I mean, we don't, obviously, we don't have to write our characters with our views, right? Because then every character would just be us. And I always go to, like, my evil characters because... I don't have the same views as them, obviously. Like, I don't believe in torture, but Bo from the Soul Eater series delights in it. He loves beating people up, and I don't, and <laughs> you shouldn't. So, of course, we're going to have different views in our characters sometimes, but I was just curious. I guess I could research more on Agatha Christie, but it was fascinating to me to see how she portrayed women in some of her novels. And I also often forget that the Perot novels take place in like the 60s or something. It's definitely after World War II. And I'm just like, really? Really? <laughs> like, for some reason, I just don't imagine Perot being in the modern day because he seems so old fashioned, you know? With his little mustache. And I feel like everything he does, drinking the tea, going out, it just, to me, it seems like just such an older era than after World War II, if that makes sense. 
I feel like I picture him in the early 20s or like the early 1900s, even though that's, you know, that's just me projecting on things. So <laughs> yes, it's just weird to me. Yeah, I just picture him in an older time and I think that's just because of the way he acts and the person he is. Sorry, I just had to double check. Like if that seemed kind of distant and rambling, it's because I was like, wait, is it after World War II? Like, is that one? Yeah, okay, it is. For a second, I doubted myself, but I was like, it's not after, it's definitely after World War II. Okay, moving on. So Agatha Christie did disappear in 1926, and it was this huge thing. I mean, it's still a mystery to this day, which is funny. I, I mean, I think it's funny. I, I, I'll, I'll tell you what I think actually happened, then I'll tell you what I think <laughs> didn't happen, but would be funny. I mean, not funny. Because a lot of people were worried about her. Like, I think it's funny in the modern, like, looking back on it as someone who obviously didn't know her and wasn't worried about her when she disappeared. Because she disappeared for 10 days. That is a long time to be worried about someone when they're missing. Yes, I know that there have been people missing way longer than 10 days. But when you really care about that person, like, every day when they're gone has to feel like an eternity, right? So she went missing in 1926. They found her car with like clothes in it, parked by the edge of a cliff. And everyone was worried that she had gone and drowned herself or jumped off a cliff and killed herself and blah, blah, blah. And then 10 days later, she was found and claimed that she had no memory of what had happened, and how she got to where she was, uh, which I don't know if I believe that. But <laughs> well, I think I'll tell you what I think happened. So earlier in that year, 1926, Agatha Christie's first husband, Archie, said that he was going to divorce her because he was in love with some other woman. And then they had a big fight later on, like a couple months, maybe even more than that later. And she left. And that's when she disappeared. I think she left because she was just trying to process all of this. And she didn't need any attention. I mean, she was getting attention and the way that she was missing. And so all these newspapers like, oh my gosh, Agatha Christie's missing. Please, if you see her, you know, blah, blah, blah. Help us find her. But I feel like she just needed time alone because her husband was saying he's divorcing her because he's been in love with this other woman and they're not going to be together anymore. And I feel like she just needed time to process that by herself, not with other people. And yes, her leaving her car behind is a bit weird. Like maybe she drove up there in a rage and anger. Maybe she did feel a bit suicidal or depressed. And then when she got up there, she was just like, I just need time to process. But overall, I don't, I mean, I don't know why she left her car up there, but overall, I think she just needed to process her life kind of falling apart. And I'm not going to say she was fine after that because I don't know and I haven't obviously haven't talked to her and asked her if she was fine after that, but she did remarry. And so it wasn't like her whole life just fell apart and she was nobody after that. And she stopped writing and stopped being Agatha Christie, but her life as she knew it up until that point was falling apart and dissolving. And I honestly think she just needed time alone to deal with that because I would. And I'm the type of person too, who I don't really like being bothered and if I do want to talk to someone about it, I'll reach out to them. But otherwise, I'm like, I'm just going to process by myself over here. 
don't try and hug me or talk to me or anything, you know? So I feel like honestly, that is probably the most likely explanation for what happened because it seems the most logical to me. Her claiming she doesn't remember things like, I mean, it could be like, she could have been so freaked out. And once again, just like processing this, that, and stuck in this, not a depression mode, but stuck in this mode of, oh my gosh, I'm getting a divorce. Oh my gosh, I'm getting, that she really doesn't remember what happened. I mean, I get so deep in my thoughts sometimes that I drive and don't remember driving places, but I get there, I'm safe. I've changed lanes. I've stopped at stoplights. I've taken turns, but it's just like, I get there and I'm like, whoa, I don't remember that drive at all because I'm just so deep in my own thoughts. And so could she have forgotten things just because she was so deep in her own thoughts because of what was happening in her life or whatever she may have been thinking about at that time. Yeah. I don't, I don't think she disappeared to be malicious. There's theories that she did it to like bring attention to her husband in a negative light. And I mean, like I said, don't know her personally, don't know enough about her, but I feel like she was not that kind of person. And probably, like I said, she just needed time to process it. It would have been hilarious. Of course, if this is, this is my own personal theory, except not because other people have definitely thought of this, but like she's a mystery writer, right? Like what if she just makes a mystery by disappearing and then reappearing and no one f- ever figures it out because she's a mystery writer, whiter. She's a mystery whiter. She's a mystery writer and she wants to mess with people, which if she did that part of me is like, haha, that's hilarious. But once again, it's because I'm looking back, it's now 2023, not 1926. And I don't know her. If I had been one of her relatives or close friends at the time and she'd gone for 10 days disappeared and come back and been like haha it was a joke because I'm a mystery writer I probably would have slapped her and been like WTF we were so worried don't you ever do that again (laughs) but I don't think that's what happened I just find it ironic that there's a huge mystery around a mystery writer who's often referred to as like the mystery writer you know she's known for so many of her books for writing so much continuously and for having that kind of carry on throughout time. It's never been, you know, out of fashion or out of, I'm not going to say out of print because I have no idea. I don't look at publishing or print timelines, but it's, it's been a thing that has carried over. Obviously we're still making movies about it. And so her books obviously have lasted and people still enjoy them. I I mean, I know people who still read Agatha Christie all the time. And I, like I said, I've read the third girl within the last six months. And sometimes I go to the library specifically looking for an Agatha Christie because I know that even if sometimes they're silly and ridiculous, I will like it. And they're usually just like a fast, quick read. They're not, you know, 500 page books with a thousand clues and 20 pages describing a room. They're just are kind of quick reads. And I also appreciate that about Agatha Christie. So yeah, this was a really random podcast. I just decided to talk about my thoughts on Agatha Christie. If you haven't read any of her books, definitely give her a try. If you want to read, you know, like I said, if you want to start with one, my suggestion would be, and then there were none. If you want to do a Hercule Poirot mystery, I mean, Murder on the Orient Express is really good. So Murder on the Orient Express Elephants Can Remember, I remember that one being good, and I remember being able to kind of solve that one, so that one might be, like, fun to try out. Murder, I believe there was one called Murder in Three Acts that I also really enjoyed. Death on the Nile, Murder in Mesopotamia, 
whatever that third one was that I still can't effing remember that's driving me insane. Yeah, but I did like, I like the pictures that she paints. Anytime her GoPro is like on vacation somewhere in his books out there and you know, a murder just happens to happen. I've always enjoyed that and I've always wanted to travel to those places. It kind of takes me away from where I am and you know, makes me want to travel again and see what he's describing and see those places that he's in. So I also thought she does a very good job of that as well. And yeah, you know, look up those YouTube radio drama adaptations or whatever. They're fun. I like them. I would love to do a podcast of radio drama adaptations of things. So they're, they're cool. I like them. I kind of it's not like I missed that because I wasn't, I was never old enough to remember gathering around the radio and listening to radio shows, but I have, you know, I've listened to them on YouTube and a friend of mine, Katie, gave me her cassettes of Sherlock Holmes at um, drama adaptations for the radio and stuff. And I just love them. They're so cool. And I wish we still had that in our lives. Like I wish I could just flip on my radio and be like, tonight I'm tuning into Agatha Christie and tomorrow it'll be Sherlock Holmes. It's just cool. I really like that aesthetic and that atmosphere that that creates. So give those a try too. If they're still on YouTube, I have no idea, but yeah, give Agatha Christie a try. Why not? That's basically what this episode was. Why not talk about Agatha Christie? It's a writing podcast. She is a writer. I don't really feel like talking about any of the other things I planned on talking about, so Agatha Christie, why not? Thank you guys so much for listening to my ramblings. You can follow me on Tate's APB on Instagram. That's T-A-T-E-S-A-P-B, like all points bulletin. On Instagram, that's also my website, tatesapb.com. I will be coming out with a new podcast soon, True Crime which if it's out by the time this comes out, I will add a little thing on the end that tells you what it's called and where you can go find it and how you should watch it and listen to it. And here's a little thing I said I would add later if my podcast was out, which it is. So my new true crime podcast is called Mama Margaret Took an Axe. It is available on Amazon, Apple, Google Podcasts, Podcasts Republic, iHeartRadio, like wherever you, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Once again, it is called Mama Margaret Took an Axe. It is about the case of Margaret Hosack, who was accused of killing her husband, John Hosack, in Iowa in late 1900. So tune into that. Also follow that Instagram page at, at Tate Presents, like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but Tate Presents. And... That is going to be kind of my podcast page where I put podcast stuff because I'm thinking of making more. So yes, this is that. Please go listen to Mama Margaret Took an Axe and share if you like. Thank you so much for this. Enjoy reading. Enjoy writing. Enjoy life.